Last time on Heralds of Tiamat, Witch, Witchlight. The Farron Fixers found themselves in the Feywild, in the Witchlight to Carnival. The first strange thing they noticed was that there wasn't any patrons. No one else to be found. No participants, no ongoers, no audience. Just Carnes. As they explored the various rides and activities going on, snail races, minecart, festivals, menagerie, some interesting things called the ticket booth and the lost lost property zone and the big top, they uh, found quite a few things. Corellia, right off the bat, went straight to the ticket booth. Upon trying to find out what a cost of a ticket is, because apparently it costs a ticket to do each ride or activity, the patrons of uh, said ticket booth were not necessarily upfront. As uh, the Feywild entails, everything is in trade, and a gold price isn't necessarily the first form of currency. While they decided to go back and forth and figure out what they were going to do, Corellia said, I'll give you a song for a ticket. And they're like, well, if the song is good, we will agree to that. And Corellia played. She played a beautiful sonnet, and it was fantastic. They were blown away by it, and they took that song right from her mind. Corellia now doesn't know the song she played, or no, doesn't know if she can play more music at all. Everything has a cost in the Feywild when you barter. With all that going on, the rest of the party decided to take a more direct approach. Not all of them have all their information together, and not everyone's exchanged information as everyone ran into the carnival to have fun. Vex, particularly, uh, checking and pointing and screaming and looking at everything that they can see. They all managed to meet at the big top and uh, run into their first encounter. There was some particular creatures. Uh, One in particular was a halfling, a goliath, and a typhling. All of them seemed to have these strange clipboards and particular writing implements. They seemed to be commenting on the structure and the buildings and things around them. uh, Unknown to the Farron Fixers, these uh, individuals were not audience members or participants in the carnival, but seemed to be judging it to some degree. And uh, upon their arrival, they saw Mr. Witch... Uh, seeming to be pandering to them, asking them uh, what type of reviews they're giving, if they're enjoying their stay, and uh, they were they were a little cold, except for uh, the typhling girl, who seemed to be new to the group. They made it clear to him that it's good, but it's really going to depend on Mr. Light. They think that his style of the carnival might be a bit more to their tastes, but so far he's gotten a three-star review, and it's pretty decent. Mr. Witch, seeming to be discouraged by this, uh, notices the the Farron Fixers and uh, points them out. And one of the particular people, Orin, the halfling man, sees them and he, he recognizes them as a Lord's Alliance group. Particularly the one where their group, the Ruined Reviewers, lost a member to. They know that Crack is their handler and they don't quite like that. Crack was a good member of their team, and being elevated to handler didn't sit well with the Ruined Reviewers, it seems. A tense moment occurred, but the Halfling Man Oren thought they were uh, too small to deal with right now. 
as uh, they planned to go, uh, the Goliath decided to call out uh, to another person who was apparently in the big town. This person seemed to be lavishly dressed in skimpy attire and was different to some degree. He didn't seem to be with them, but seemed to be accompanying them. He didn't look all too powerful and or confident, but he definitely had an air. He uh, came out, and the moment he saw the Farron Fixers, he called them the fuck-ups and failures. Laughed with his uh, pet monkey and kept moving. He said that he can't wait to see them in Waterdeep. And with that, they all disappeared to hither or yon. Who knows? Uh, trying to not get too distracted on what just occurred. Farron Fixers talked to Mr. Mr. Witch and they discovered that he's looking for a successor. And Bex, being a candidate, uh, must go to the Loom Lurch and get a white or red rose, preferably red rose, from Coggle Boggle and Doggle. If, he, if she can retrieve that particular rose or either rose, then she will be given a mark of being a successor. The successor can leave the Feywild Carnival with the power given to them by Mr. Witch. Mr. Witch isn't too worried about it and agreed half-heartedly to the situation. With that and securing a way out, they decide to go look for their elusive undead. Finding him, Abracadaver, of course, talking to Kane the Clan, who seems to be a little bit more clammy than before. Abracadaver, seeing that uh, the Farron Fixture is having a profound effect on their on his chatting partner, decide to hear them out and go with them. He was a little confused at first, but, you know, he's bored. He doesn't have anything better to do, and he told them that he'll travel with them if they go to his menagerie and help him out with dealing with that with Mr. Witch. And they're like, okay. So they went to the menagerie, and he uh, put them to a test. He showed them all their, his favorite animals and creatures and asked which one is his favorite. Definitely understanding the... The trick in the question, Gralia discovered that all of them are his favorite. That being said, everyone was given a gift, an animal of their own that they are able to train and work with. They're all monsters of dangerous degrees, and he says once you let them free, you better hope that your relationship is built high enough. Now with their small pets out of the way and their undead on their side, it's time to head to the Loomwort Lurch. They go back to Mr. Witch and ask permission to leave the carnival. He says, you can leave whenever you want. Just take the gondola. He'll take you directly to the Loom Lurch. And as he dubiously eyes Abracadaver, he says he will begrudgingly let him go as long as one of you do become the successor for sure. Otherwise, though, it is a, a non-plus deal. Making that deal more solid, they decide to take the gondola ride. And it's a nice ride. The Feywild is a beautiful place, leading them to Tither. And the shines of the trees and the lands, tracing colors and beautiful satyrs and dryads and other creatures of the like passing by. However, they run aground in the middle of the river, the gondola bumping into something that doesn't seem to be part of the path. And it most certainly wasn't. It was some terrifying, misshapen land monster. As it came up with multiple tongues slashing out at the party, Abracadaver was their savior. 
They were all about to be pulled in meeting, while he managed to convince the creature, Dolan, as it's called, to let them go, and he will feed some of his menagerie pets to him. Domu, seeming to be reasoned with at the time, decided to put the creatures down and wait for Abracadaver on their way back. Hopefully he's true to his word and is willing to give it, otherwise Farron Fixers have a lot cut out for them to try to come back and deal with such a monster. From that, they travel further and deeper into the tither, and as they come upon a huge, massive, fallen tree called the Loon Lurch, they realize a lot of time has passed, but they haven't felt hungry, or tired, or even... Worried? Everything in the Feywild seemed to affect their minds differently, and it's been what they had considered nearly two days. We'll see what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat, Hide and Peak. Last time on Heralds of Tiamat, Hide and Peak. The Farron Fixers found themselves at the Loom Lurch in Tither. It was a fallen tree of massive size that seemed to have smaller trees growing out of it. The area was strange and fantastical. A giant iron skull of a iron soldier at the left-hand corner of the, the area, as well as a huge scroll sign, basically depicting the area's name, Loom Lurch, with some stylized filigree and such. The place had uh, fantastical creatures like snakes that can talk, taking care of pumpkins, and jack-in-the-boxes that can fly. The Farron Fixers explored a little and had a little fun here and there, uh, spoke with some of the locals, and ended up uh, almost getting torched in a uh, furnace room. However, noticing that everyone was preparing for whatever activities or things they were doing, and that they were mostly in the way, decided to seek out their quarry. Finding Boggle, Coggle, and Doggle seemingly slave-working some children in the bottom of the loom lurch. Upon finding this out, they decided to ignore uh, the travesty and focus on their goal, getting Boggle, Coggle, and Doggle to give them the rose that they were looking for, the red rose to be specific. Boggle, Coggle, and Doggle were uh, not the smartest fellows, but they were clever. They had a fun activity in a game called Hide and Peek for the Farron fixtures to play. The rules were simple, if they find all three of them correctly, then they can have a special prize. If they find the one with the red rose, they can have the red rose. If they can find the white the one with the white rose, they can have the white rose. However, they don't find any of them, and only one of them who doesn't have a white rose or a red rose, they don't win anything. The rules seem fair, and the creatures, while a fey in nature, didn't seem to be outright trying to trick and or harm and fixer so they decided to take the deal and as they started the game of hide and peek chaos ensued they ran around the loom lurch seeking out different boggles coggles and doggles that were doing strange and different things they all had uh, special phrases and words boggle couldn't answer a question doggle would always lie and coggle would always tell the truth it was a quite a fantastical activity as well as puzzle for the Farron Fixers to figure out. 
spending several, several hours, which ended up to be days from their perspective, dealing with said puzzle. As they managed to finally get their nine boggles, coggles, and doggles together, they sat in patience, waiting for what would be considered the verdict. As the boggles, coggles, and doggles looked at each other, one after another disappearing, first the doggles. One doggle remained, and it was the right doggle. Doggles smiled and put his hands over his chest, and he goes, well, maybe I'm the only one. As the coggles started to disappear, sweat began to bead on some of the frame fixers, worrying that they got the right one. And as the last two looked at each other, one disappeared and one remained. Okay, so you get the white rose, Coggle says. But what about the red? The last one, Boggle. Disappeared just as fantastically. The last three looking at each other, two disappeared suddenly, leaving only one remaining. Boggle looked at them and says, you're better than we thought. And they hand them the white red rose, as well as Doggle pulls out of his pouch a special item, the ink of imagination. This magical item allows them to paint certain types of objects that they can create with the proper performance check or painter's tools. And when they make it, it becomes real for all of six seconds. However, in the Feywild, they become real for a bit longer, an undetermined amount of time. Uh, the artist has to be quite skilled, and the bigger the piece, the more difficult it is to make. With uh, their new magical item and uh, their roses, the Phantom Fixers decide to head back to the Witchlight Carnival, getting in the swan and seeing something strange transgress. We'll find out what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat, Ride or Die. Last time on Heralds of Tiamat, Ride or Die. Farron Fixers were still inside the Feywild, dealing with the Witchlight Carnival's issues. They were searching for a successor, and they had to pick among themselves. Bex seemed the right choice since they seemed crazy enough to make a deal with such a Fey. Upon heading back from the Loom Lurch, the world seemed to darken, change, become more sinister. Trees, colors turned from verdant greens and beautiful hues of yellow to dark purples and blacks. Crazy things started to show up in the purview of the Farron Fixers, things that were better left alone. As they traveled down with the Gondola Swan, they noticed that the water level of the river seemed to drain and become less as they traveled deeper and more, more quickly down. As they make it closer and closer to the locations they seen before, everything seemed to be missing or changed. Even Domu, the strange creature that was going to try to eat them on their way back, seemed to be in fear and tried to flee, but was attacked by the forest. The creatures of the forest seemed to be the trees themselves, with horrified faces tearing down the massive creature one by one. 
Baron Fixers realized that the Feywild is slowly becoming more and more dangerous, and Abracadabra made it clear that Mr. Light is coming, and his part of the carnival for the Witchlight Carnival is soon to begin. With this fear and worry, they, they wait on their gondola swan, knowing that they could not travel faster than it, and hoping that it'll make it in time. As the river begins to drain on the last bend and become solid stone, they hit the ground, but the gondola seems to be alive. It seems to be a real living creature, but not a swan no longer. A goose. A goose that honks loudly and runs on its feet with everyone on, on its back, seeming terrified and worried for its life. It flees into the mist where the witchlight is. The mist itself seems to be alive, strangling even, lest of the, the inviting colorful lighting that was the witch light they enter. Everything is dark. The signs are more twisted. They realize that even Cain the clan is uh, buried and uh, looks less inclined to have conversation. They realize time is of the essence and get off the goose and travel towards Mr. Witch, who seems to be staring at his own pocket watch, in uh, some worry. As he sees the Fairman Fixers, he goes, okay, let's hurry up and go. And as they're, uh, as he starts to do a small dance and what would be considered a uh, crowning of the new successor, he goes, do you have the rose? And Dex goes, of course. And he hands him the rose, the red rose. He goes, do you have the other rose? And Vex seems to hesitate. Takes some moments. Moments in the witch light seem to uh, draw on. The lights start to get darker and he goes, do you have it? And Vex goes, yes. He touches it and makes it magical for a short time and makes it clear that time is short. And this is how you, and before he finishes speaking, the big top tent starts to grow legs and spindly arms a woman of cackling voice madame grove one of the witch the carnival's attractions pops up a massive gargantuan creature of woman's face stretched into what seems to be the parody of a skeleton and her playing with puppets upon her blouse and for whatever reason suddenly fairy fixers start to become puppets themselves. Their sanity somehow used against them to rationalize their situation. They become paralyzed and bodies start to do things that they would rather not, like attack their fellows who are not paralyzed. Beximotsu managed to insanely survive the, the, the paralyzation and suddenly they become enemies. Fairy Fixers try to kill Motu and Bex, and as the fight ensues, Motu takes heavy damage, but Bex manages to get from Mr. Witch before he disappears the ability to travel back from the Feywild, clicking the top of the of the watch three times. In mock parody of clicking your shoes, they all disappear. Arriving back at Kodanoxus's graveyard, who seems to be entertaining some strange dragons. Gem dragons, it seems to be. All young, but uh, still powerful in their demeanor and shape and colors. They uh, seem startled, but at the same time expectant. 
of the Fair and Fixers as Code goes, these are the guys who are associated with the Lord's Alliance. Uh, a little caught off guard and a little tired and confused from their, cur- their past situation, thrown right into another fire. They, uh, they look at Codanoxus, who looks at them and sees Abracadabra, and they start fighting. No explanation uh, at all, and they start tussling and wrestling on the ground and having uh, what could be considered good old fun, but from their perspective, likely a uh, assertion of dominance between demi-leches. As the skulls seem to butt heads, figuratively and uh, literally, they the the go the gem dragons, the moonstone dragons specifically, explains the situation to the hand fixers. They are looking to have one of their own, a wormling, open negotiations with the Lord Alliance. They're trying to pick a side among the dragons, and they don't necessarily know which side is uh, better for them. They are from Aberhair, but they don't necessarily have a huge following, nor a uh, powerful standing there, and they're wondering if uh, helping the Lord Alliance will give them that standing and power. They are mostly neutral and not very evil, but they do have a neutral evil creature with them that is an undead, a hollow dragon, that is uh, also interested in speaking with the Zentara. They will uh, agree to guard the Wormling in case of uh, danger. But otherwise, they uh, they said they will pay the Baron Fixers 10,000 gold in gems if they do this. Baron Fixers seem to make a pretty easy decision, money for escort, and they take it. They take it and they go. They head uh, off into the Neverwinter, uh, leaving Codanoxus and having Abracadabra turn into a dwarf. And head back to the Coldest Baron Town, hoping that... Their venture can take a small break. However, that doesn't seem to be the case. As they travel through, Anneli is brought to the side by some strange woman who has snake-like features. They have a heated conversation. Anneli explains to the group that she has to return here in order to uphold a promise. If she didn't, they would have attacked her on the spot and likely alerted the guard to their current position and affiliations party excited and glad that Anelli decided to make that deal and save most of their lives, they finally headed to the Cold Spirit Town. However, they did uh, realize that they knew who uh, owned the Cold Spirit Town. Ramu Harikamaf, Lord of the Blazing Heavens, creator of the Crimson Wastes, Torch of Toril, the Red Dragon who leads the Herald of Tiamat, the Crimson Herald himself was in charge of the bar. And this uh, did not bode well as they were trying to figure out how they were going to uh, finesse their relationship with him. And it did not uh, go well. The moment they entered the bar and, you know, saw Harik in his traditional spots, everything changed. Heat began to rise and the space started to burn. The parties realized that Harik knew that they knew who he was and that ignorance was no longer part of their situation. Thus, he transported them to what seemed to be a place between time or a place between dimensions. Who knows? But the fire was hot and it was dangerous. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. And a negotiation began to start as Harik said that they can get them out of Neverwinter as long as they provide uh, some amount of support to his current situation. They wanted him to... Be a bit more forthright with what it is, and he said he will make a deal. 
he will brand Ignis, their red dragon friend, and that if he dies or is killed or he chooses not to fulfill the deal, that he will be very cross with the Fenrin Fixers and likely will come upon them at their most bleakest hour and take his revenge. But if they were to listen to him, they were to do what he asked, they are to travel to the Frozen Var, and before saving Macanth and gaining either the White Dragon Mask, they are to enter a spire that lasts near the, f- the spine of the world, and the spire has a special scroll that they would know that he needs when they find it. They got everything else in the tower, he doesn't care about that, and they just need to use the scroll and do it before they save Macath and all that. As long as they do that, then he's fine, they'll be square, and there'll be no issues to behold. He even decided to pay them 25,000 gold. He gave them a flaming haversack that seemed to burn anyone who wasn't touching it first, and released them into the wild. As they appeared outside of Neverwinter, flabbergasted and terrified, knowing that the deals they've made today are going to change their adventure for the rest of their known lives, they realized they had to run. They uh, escaped Neverwinter, but there was still a large army in front of them and partially behind them, and the only way to get out of here was to take their devil's rides and drive. Sending the NPCs on their friend Nablus, they traveled down towards Waterdeep. The Devil's Ride are quick and they can get there within a full 24 hours, but it's going to make them tired. And if they stop for any reason, they could be caught by the leavings and reserves of the Neverwinter military. Running down various obstacles and escaping various traps and, and scouts, they make it all the way to Neverwinter in in a whole day. However, by the time they get down to Neverwinter, there is a problem. A massive reserve meant to keep the supplies as well as the rear of the military protected is in their way, and they begin a serious challenge. Corellia and Motsu pass through the area with lightning speed and explode a massive cart of gunpowder, creating a smoke cloud that seems to cover them. They use the smoke and travel right through, hurting creatures and slowing them down. And as Ignis creates some type of shadow that covers the bike and keeps them hidden, they manage to navigate through the smoke with little to no issue. While Bex pops over the smoke cloud, getting around and landing behind it, completely circumventing the situation itself. And then, lastly, Shion and Vistari, all traveling behind the group, create a stampede of elk and suddenly pass through the group area and running down one of the elks as a as Luke pep up behind the rest of the Farron Fixers, escaping the reserves in chaos. With that, they managed to finally make it to Waterdeep, feeling that the, the, the danger is over. They head straight to the Lord's Alliance to get some rest and prepare for the rest of their day, hopefully getting some downtime. And as they appear at the Lord's Alliance, they see a strange, massive Warforge blocking the door. They look back and forth, and as they get closer, the Warforge's eyes light up, and 
opens. A strange woman, a typhoon, a very salacious attire and uh, body, begins to come out. And as she does, coins fall around her. She goes, ah, they're here, she says. And as that happens, a group, an entire party, comes out of the Lord's Alliance, all saying GG, GG, and look at the Farron Fixers. And one says, we challenge you, Farron Fixers, for your rank in the Lord's Alliance. And we'll find out what happens next time on Farron, on Heralds of Tiamat, the greatest group. Heralds of Tiamat, the greatest group. The Farron Fixers seem to be caught in the trap. LA77GG, also known as the greatest group, is challenging them to an LA ranking challenge. They have double the amount of tokens needed to challenge the group and force them to participate. The group caught off guard doesn't necessarily know what to do, but is forced to accept the challenge. They have two days to prepare. And as, they, as each of the members of the greatest group introduce themselves, they move on to do their own things and their own preparations. Farron Fixers among, decide amongst themselves that Anelli does not want to join the LA and will be left outside while they go speak with Crack and get all of their things in order. Some chaos ensues and Crack learns about the competition as well as uh, marks everyone who is new including those who need to be processed with the special soul rune that seems to track and or keeps tabs on those who have recently entered. There seems to be a small scuffle with a uh, crack and uh, the strange hollow dragon that is supposed to watch over the moonstone dragon that they brought with them. But after uh, successfully processing the creature, crack uh, went about his business. Upon learning about the various situations and knowing that that's prepare and getting paid out by crack a significant sum for each member of uh, the la that decided to come inside the building the group heads out into the vendors buying several different types of items and enchantments tattoos and things that they feel they'll need they come up with cockamamie schemes on how to prepare for the challenge as well as look up look for some other adventures to either help them or provide some type of advice they discover there might be a loophole they might be able to avoid the situation entirely they might be able to give themselves a bit of an edge by picking a, a, a game they have or they just might have to bite the bullets and face them head on not knowing exactly how to defeat the greatest group that being said they uh, spend quite a bit of time doing all these things two days are well spent and harrowed as the day dawns, everyone prepared with their materials and items that they need. The Farron Fixers repair. And we'll see what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat. Will the games begin? Last time on Heralds of Tiamat, the Farron Fixers found a loophole and managed to get the greatest group to fall for their trap. Upon arriving at the arena in the early morning of the 21st, they sprung their trap. 
it was clear that the greatest group didn't have enough tokens to cover the new double that the Farron Fixers had. They needed at least 18, but only could come up with 16. This was problematic. And the handlers had to make a decision. If they didn't have enough tokens to force the situation, they had to go get them. The greatest group put a condition. They have to end of the day to do it or the conflict is void. They left immediately. And so did the Farron Fixers. Escaping to the Wayward Maiden, picking up their friend Anelli, they used their friend Abracadaver to find their new ride, a ship called the Dread. Seemingly being taken care of by a death knight, a friend of Abracadaver's, and his strange living ship. They also seem to be uh, sharing the ship with a creature named Carl and the hollow dragon Espada. With all the strange crewmates and people, they uh, descend into the ship's bows to sleep and rest as they are headed out for their new adventure into the Sea of Swords. A couple members are brought up to either help with minor things and looking around. The ship runs itself and is run by undead who don't need sleep. So it's a pretty easy going for a little while. About half a day passes when they realize that there is some dangers out here. A storm comes upon them and suddenly something sticks to the base of the hull. A creature, large and tentacled. A small juvenile kraken, a youngling of their kind, seeming to try to stow away on the dread. Raze is not interested in having this creature stick around and tells the party to get rid of it before it attracts something more dangerous, which it seems like it did. As the storm became more vicious and violent, a massive swell came out as the eye of the storm came and a dragon turtle of immense size, about twice the size of the ship they were on, rose out of the water. Its name was Forlorn, and the juvenile kraken they met underwater said that if it is willing to let them stow away on their ship, it will negotiate with the dragon turtle for safe passage. This is a little conflicting, as the party had no idea what to do. The last dragon turtle they came in contact with tried to kill them, and while Raze wasn't confident about complete survival, he was willing to uh, do this new accord. As uh, the juvenile kraken's name was found out to be tied, negotiations started. Apparently, Forlorn is subjugated by Shale Abanoctran, the mythic sea dragon of the Sword Sea in his territory. Something was taken from him as a proof of his subservience, what seemed to be a missing tooth, but is supposedly a magical focus for his power. He wishes for it to be returned to him, stolen from the dragon's horde. Parted does not like this idea, and it seems dangerous. But the next thing he says is that it is on an island that moves called Dragon. This also didn't bode well because, well, the Varen Fixers were headed to such a place. Crack had given them a couple missions. One to head to this location, Dragon, to find their new airship, the Endowed, with Abracadabra. Another to speak to a sect of Marrow that are looking to defect to Waterdeep. 
there was also some creatures in the Koran archipelago, Zartan, that is posing as an island turtle that may be interested in creating an open dialogue and communication, as well as some bonus missions like a bounty on an anathema in the whale bones, as well as some interesting elemental loci acting in a frenzy. With all these things being available to them, they decide, what's one more quest? And decide to take the deal with Forlorn, the ancient dragon turtle. Forlorn lets them pass and tells them that the place they're heading to is dangerous. And that dragon, the turtle, the moving island, is still in the whale bones. If they hurry, they can find it. Upon heading deeper and closer to the whale bones, they get up to some shenanigans and speak with Ty to learn a little bit about how the Kraken are slowly being extinct, made extinct by Shalab and Octran, as well as some of the subjugations that are going on in the Sword Sea. It seems to be a killer bee killed, a very uh, primal type of land, but we'll see what happens next time as they enter the whale bones. On Heralds of Tiamat, Accords, Parlay, and Blimeys.